Hi everybody, it's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and neuroplasticity therapist and I take great pleasure in sharing the journey of healing for my clients who are suffering with chronic dizziness, chronic vertigo, chronic tinnitus. And my role is to really help people feel at ease in their body, to come home to their body and to help unfurl the confusing aspects of how did I get into this pickle? Why am I here? Why did I wake up one day and I, I don't know myself anymore? So healing is really, it's a great story. And this, the main character in the story is, is me, myself, I. It's the person going through it. And today we're actually taking the story off on the journey of birth, of creating a baby, of going through labor and looking at the analogies of what it means to rebirth ourselves and to go through the, the labor of rebirthing the new version of me. And I have a, a beautiful expert and Australian colleague of mine on the call today. Her name is Rhea Dempsey, and I'm absolutely delighted to introduce you to Rhea today. So firstly, welcome, Rhea, and thank you for your time. Beautiful to be here. So Rhea Dempsey is a highly sought-after childbirth educator. She is a doula and birth attendant, and we'll speak a little bit more about that as we get into the conversation. Rhea is a counsellor, speaker, and author. I highly recommend her books. And on a personal note, I have no question that I read your first book five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And I would say it highly impacted the choices I made in approaching the birth of my first child. So thank you so much. And thank you for being here to flesh out this conversation. I'm so looking forward to seeing, you know, the richness that we can bring together from these sort of different, different modalities, but seeing those shared sort of values and shared understandings about how the human condition unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone who's familiar with the way I work, I, I help people look at the holistic picture and integrate all the various parts of themselves into their healing journey. We're much more than our ears. We're much more than our brain our, or our psychology or our legs or our arms or in birthing, you know, our cervix. It's, it's the whole person. And this applies also for fathers and for men. Um, a man get, has a child and becomes a father. So it's, the story is relevant to all of us. And the, the role of the doula is to be with and to support that process, which is really what I see myself doing with my vertigo and tinnitus clients. So mm -hmm. I was giggling with Rhea earlier that really Rhea is the birth version of me. We have so much mm -hmm. professionally, but would you like to explain to the listeners just simply what a doula is in your perspective? Yes. Yeah, so a doula, um, not medically trained. So we have midwives um, and the philosophy of midwifery is to be with the woman. Um, but in more contemporary times, the midwives role in lots of Western sort of more medicalized cultures has shifted a little bit more to being, excuse me, <coughs> to being a bit more, you know, with the machinery or with the, the protocols of the hospital or what have you. Not all midwives, of course, but that's the tendency. So that idea of being with the mother is more, as you say, in that human realm, in the realm of the heart, in the realm of the feelings, also in the realm of some guidance about how to trust the, their bodies and how to work with their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that doulas take up, have taken up a space in many of the sort of westernised medical cultures around birth that perhaps once you know, a long time ago might have been taken up by the midwife or your mother or your sister or so we're in that role of being with so we're 
we're, we're not with the regulations and routines of the hospitals. We're not with the machinery. We're not with the drugs. We're, we're with that presence with the woman and with some experience behind us to make some guidance in some of those sticky points where, you know, where the emotions are running high or where women are feeling so challenged that they feel like they don't know how to do it and so on. So it's such a privileged position to be working in, to be a doula, to, yeah, the eye contact, the the touch, the the helping her to steady her breath or what have you, all of these things, of course. And I guess maybe if we were to drill it down into the into the physiology, we're, we're sort of hopefully oxytocin magicians or something like that. You know, we can hopefully bring um, bring our own love and care and centeredness into that space and then through that connection that we've made with the woman mm-hmm. and the and the family the partner mm-hmm. we're we're working on the love side of the of the of the story and that of course helps that oxytocin to come through which of course as i call it queen oxytocin really is running that that birth show is really a bit run by queen oxytocin when it's going at its best so uh, we can do a little bit of magic around that so to put this into context so my community is quite familiar with the neuroplasticity and that there are neurotransmitters and hormones involved as our brain and our body and our biology and brain chemistry changes oxytocin is a word i really could use more of it's both a neurotransmitter and a hormone And oxytocin is, as Rhea said, it comes back to love. You know, when we're in fear, people have heard of cortisol and adrenaline and fear puts our brain and our brain chemistry into a different place. And that's where healing for my vertigo and tinnitus clients is really paused. It's delayed. When we're in stress, fight, flight, freeze, the body can't problem solve and create new neural networks. Same with birth. When we're in fear, the fight, flight, freeze, the the cervix and the, the birthing process pauses because the body's assuming it's not safe to bring a baby into the world if I'm freaking out. Maybe there's a lion around the corner. I don't want my baby to get eaten by a lion. So that old evolutionary decision is let's pause the labor. So what Rhea's talking about is when we have somebody and their exclusive role is not to check the baby's heartbeat or to check the cervix dilation or all of those medical things, it's their sole role is to make sure the safe there's safety and there's an atmosphere of trust, relaxation, love, opening up, and that vulnerability is okay. In order to really truly surrender to rebirth ourselves or to birth a baby, we have to be able to drop into that place of it's almost a deep meditation. We go somewhere, the body completely opens, and then of course magic can happen. Yes. So yeah. this is just putting into context some of that new language. So oxytocin is really the love drug. It's 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 chemistry in the brain, and it's when it's made by our body for ourselves. And as my clients are going through their self-compassion processes and bringing love and kindness back in and directing that towards themselves, they're actually giving their brain an opportunity to release more of this oxytocin, which has a magical cascade of impact further down their biological processes. And this is what's going on through the laboring woman's process. And the more the, the, the closer the baby gets to being born, the more that oxytocin is really hopefully um, blossoming and, and, and moving through her brain chemistry. Can I, can I just say one or two things to just expand from the uh, birth side of things, some of the things that you've just said then? Um, one, and some of this I think would relate to the situation with the, your, the people who are following your work, um, and maybe some of them not quite so. 
you know, you'll be able to tease that out. But certainly, because in contemporary times, in most westernized cultures, birth has been placed into a very strong medical frame. Yeah. And that the sort of cultural, the social and cultural message seems to be exclusively about medical safety. You know, if, we, if we're in the hospital, if we've got the machinery, if we can do this, we can do the disease, we can do that, all of that, that stuff that medicine can do supposedly to save babies or to keep mums okay. So is this idea of medical safety. But when we take the point of view of the hormones, it's not the medical safety can be just papering over or putting a framework around a woman who is very fearful. Mm. And in fact, you know, the medical, that medicalized culture tends to make us much more fearful about birth. So the mother can be fearful. And, uh, you know, as you say, the hormonal balance then in her body is not really conducive to birthing, but she's going to what the culture says is a place to be safe, which is the hospitals and within that medical frame. But that doesn't offer this deep sort of inner human, human connection feeling of safety and love, which is going to be the support for the development of the hormone. So it's, a, it's quite a conundrum, really. And I'm wondering in terms of the, the people who follow you and your work, that maybe there's some of that too, because presumably anything that seems to go wrong in the body is seen, because we're in such a strong medical frame, is seen to be a medical thing that we could fix. But if we can't fix it, well, then there's still all that distress and, and fear and the hormones, as you're saying, need to be addressed so that we can do some of that healing from within. So I think the beautiful analogy there between the two definitely and i so so i recently gave birth almost six months ago and it's on your mind you're like well i may have a rare condition like maybe there is going to be something not quite right about my birth so it's on the back of the mind as a birthing person i need to be realistic things go wrong right even if it is rare and i think it's the same with vertigo and tinnitus we need medical clearance we need to dot our I's and cross our T's, talk to the doctors and say, look, is there anything that requires medical intervention? And if so, I want to know about it. Once we get the medical clearance, and I was so fortunate, I had a private midwife who I saw every month, if not every two weeks, I was constantly monitored and the message was always, you're perfectly normal, your baby's perfectly normal, let's proceed as normal. So <clears throat> I never had to go to a hospital because I was never a medical patient. Yeah. So I could birth in a private home birth environment where I was not disturbed and all of my beautiful natural physiology could unfold. And just like the textbooks say, I didn't feel any pain. I didn't feel any distress. My body just birthed the baby. It was really a miracle. Yes. Um, and I saw my job as being present and not getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was, I was very fortunate to have that situation and, um, I think the medical conversation and safety is very real and getting medical clearance is something I recommend everybody do. And once you've got that medical clearance, go deep, dive deep into trusting the body, dive deep into trusting the physiology, dive deep. Don't second guess, don't triple guess, try not to get 15 um, opinions. Yes. Cause I think that's when we get stuck and that's when doesn't matter what we're birthing, whether it's a baby or rebirthing a new version of ourselves, we can get stuck and nothing's happening. Like, why isn't this goddamn baby coming out? Why is there so much pain? And that's where I would love you to speak Ria on these blockages, these, the fear story, the, the attachment theory, what's going on? What are we holding in us that can be blocking our capacity to fully surrender and open up to that natural physiology to go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, um, normally if I'm talking about this, I'll have to do some diagrams at the same time. So I'll just have to try and paint a picture. But of course, there's the social and cultural, you know, the contemporary social and cultural situation that all birthing women now, particularly in Western cultures, are in the middle of. And so they're bombarded with all those messages of, you know, fear about birth and that it doesn't work so well and it has to be watched over and all of that stuff. Um, so then in the context of that, hopefully like you, you know, more women can be what I call savvy enough to make choices that are going to give them a sort of protective circle around them that helps to buffer those cultural messages that build the fear. But um, many of those sort of op opportunities are not so widely available or socially and culturally, they're not sort of embedded as a possible choice for so many women. Mm -hmm. So a lot of women are, uh, have the cultural fear message living in them, as well as then going into places where that's being played out, i.e. a lot of the hospitals. So first of all, there's all of that. And I guess there's that thing really, Joey, of, of understanding that the individual woman there's her own story which I'll come to who she is and as she meets this sort of maternal culture the maternity culture but really when we think of so many women getting trapped in that or caught and not coming through with the sort of births that they were hoping for mm. sometimes the women blame themselves or other people might might somehow or other look at them in some sort of judgment but of course really birthing women are being so failed by these cultural messages and by the systems to not be supported in the ways that could could unfold births in a more positive way so can there's I, that can i just add to that too i feel so gifted and this is serendipity for sure my yeah. so i read your book because a girlfriend asked me to support her through her birth so i wasn't thinking about birthing myself it had nothing to do with me i was i was educating myself on the system and choices while I was not emotionally involved. And I think that was a real gift because I think timing's an issue too. Because if people are trying to suddenly do all this research and learn while they're pregnant, yes. it's harder. Whereas I think yes, if we can is. slowly learn and have the, which is why I hope this conversation gets spread to, to daughters, to nieces, you know, that the earlier we learn about the choices we have, the earlier yes. we can get comfortable with that power and we can actually advocate for ourselves because um, yeah. you know my husband was not cool about a home birth uh, <laughs> we, we had to have those conversations to make sure it yeah. suited everybody yes of course all of that so um to go back then you know so that's painting the picture of the of the the, the wider cultural space and the birth mm -hmm. space itself um then of course we have the who is this mother and and how does she meet all of that so that would bring into, you know, who is this mother in terms of how she understands her body and works with her body and trusts her body and knows her body and, or not. And yeah. what are the things in her life that, that shape that one way or another? Um, and of course, you've, you've asked me to talk a little bit more out of the, about the deeper psychological stuff. So then we go in deeper as well in terms of who is this woman? What is her life story? And what is her way of being in the world? particularly that comes out of her earliest life story. Yeah. And I guess with your um, followers that you probably talk about the, the you know, the, the memory system that's laid down in the body in those first early years, they, they talk about, you know, the first three years, which includes also some of the time in the womb and then the birth and then those early years when we're having lots and lots of experiences with hopefully uh, loving caregivers and 
mums and dads and that whole beautiful delicious thing about the baby and the quality of care and holding that the baby receives and that idea of holding not just the physical holding but you know in psychological terms that how the baby is held in the heart and the you know the loving connection with the caregivers lays down I mean it lays down lots of things but mostly we don't remember them consciously they're not part of our conscious memory systems but nonetheless they shape how we view the world how we view ourselves how we view um, safety in relationships how we view ourselves in relation to being valued and cared for and nurtured so being worthy so I uh, it lays down those messages about how I feel about myself deeply about whether I feel like I'm a lovable, I'm valuable, I'm secure in the people that people will respond to me when I'm in need. And all of this, of course, is at play with lots of what how we grow through the rest of our lives. And I guess my frame and my, my lens through that is to be thinking about attachment theory. And so, um, and of course, without going into too much detail about that, but that secure attachment is where we feel, yes, that we're loved, we're strong and capable ourselves, we're given lots of messages to explore the world, but also we're given lots of messages that if we feel vulnerable or we feel under threat, with no shame, we can tune to others and turn to them and be nurtured and cared for until we feel strong enough then to go out and do take on whatever that challenge is, whether that's about learning how to ride a bike or it's about finishing our, our year 12 or it's about giving birth to a baby or whether it's about facing a, a health crisis or some sort of other crisis in our lives. Mm -hmm. So are we attuned through that very early foundation which is laid down to mm -hmm. feel like I have my own resources and capacity but sometimes life is tougher than I feel like I can cope with. And so then at those times, without feeling shameful or without a worry that we're burdening other people or what have you, we can lean into other people's um, nurture and care and expertise to guide us. And we can do that in a, in a very, um, yeah, a way that diminish, doesn't diminish anything of our own power, but also supports our, you know, our growth and our power and our potency into the world. So, but if we don't have that secure attachment, if we have one or other of the insecure attachments, then in that case, we, we learn something different. You know, we're learning something about, well, am I okay? Am I lovable? Am I valuable? Do people attune to me? Am I going to be abandoned? Am I, when I'm in a threat situation or a very difficult situation for myself, will people come on board to give me support? Is it shameful even to ask because I've had to sort of protect myself by being super, super powerful in my own life. And if I now feel like I'm crumbling, then that's very difficult for myself to even um, acknowledge, let alone the shame of having to, you know, show that vulnerability to another person in order to ask for help. Or, of course, we don't trust that the help will ever be there anyway. So that whole thing about abandonment, mm -hmm. about shame, about worthiness. So attachment theory talks about you know whenever we're in a threat situation this is particularly when our attachment system is triggered and so then whether we can easily whether people around that we can easily ask for that support from and accept it or this is much more challenging to our deep sense of how we've um sh you know how we've shaped ourselves through our, our ways of being in the world to cope with life yeah. so um in my work about birth i see you know Birth is a threat situation. 
I'm sure birth has always been a threat situation through generations, generations, generations. That whole thing about, you know, finding safe space, making sure that the lion's not around, <laughs> choosing a place where we feel like we can be safe when as women we're birthing and we're somewhat vulnerable and that this small baby certainly is vulnerable. We, we need to be attuned to safety. So it's a threat situation which guides us, has always guided us to seek safe place for birthing. Mm -hmm. Just that at the moment in our birth culture, the contemporary culture is like the message from the culture is well the safe place is in the hospital and that's attuned to that medical safety rather than this deeper security about how i'm feeling in this situation and and am i feeling safe so therefore the oxytocin will run so if women are troubled by earlier life experiences of not being well held not being well attuned to and have those insecure attachments then they're their physiology is shaky. They might be in the hospital, but their physiology is shaky because that fear of abandonment or the fear of, of exposing vulnerability and shame. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of control mechanisms that, that, that people with these histories develop in life to try and keep everything under control in this way, rather than exposing these deeper core issues. Mm -hmm. um, but they can come, they can flare up in the labor, which means that the hormones are not in keeping with how that labor, labor should ideally unfold. Please, I can see you excited to jump into something. Well, I just wanted to put it into the language that my audience will, will resonate, yeah, which is um, through our early years, including in utero, certainly as we're in our first seven years of life, we're really setting down the neural networks, patterns and pathways that our brain will hardwire. And these are the certain networks, reactions and responses that we will be doing daily. And so these feelings of not feeling worthy, not feeling good enough, they're not conscious, they're actually quite subconscious. And they get re-triggered even when we're bullied in the playground or... Um, we make a mistake trying to flip a pancake. You know, there's, there's endless amounts of repetition in the system of, you know, that mum forgot about me again, or, you know, dad ignored me again. And these little messages are constantly getting triggered in the brain and they put us into either deep relaxation, oxytocin, loving, goodness, openness. And that's yes. where vulnerability sits when it's, vulnerability is a great strength. When we can be vulnerable, drop into that and say, oh, wow, I need to hold myself in this place or and or i think I, yeah. I need somebody else to help hold me in this space we can keep the oxytocin the love and the softness alive neurologically right and yes. what Rhea is talking about is when when we get triggered with our worth abandonment rejection uh, or self-critiquing which often yes. starts in our early that inner child work facing our inner voices yes. when that gets re-triggered neurologically in the physiology at the brain chemistry level we actually go into the fight flight freeze we shut down we contract you know it's the opposite of what you want when you're embarking on any learning or change or birthing experience yes. we, we contract and close down and the, the body is saying not yet i'm not ready not yet i'm not ready and it doesn't matter if you're trying to heal a chronic symptom and rebirth yourself into something new or whether you're trying to birth a baby the body needs to soften and open and say, I can try something new. I'm going to open up and explore. I'm going to do something different. We need to be in that oxytocin place. Now, on a second thing, I just wanted to say there's nothing wrong with birthing in hospital, and that's not where we're coming from. In fact, I did a lot of research in my preparation, and I met one incredible midwife who birthed 30 years ago, I think, or at least 20 years ago in the UK. 
And because she was a midwife, she felt very safe in the hospital that she was a single mum. That's where her friends were. That's where her colleagues were. And she told me she had a 53 minute orgasmic birth in the hospital. So look, <laughs> it can happen. It can work and people can be held and there can be humanism. It's not, it's, it's not about the hospital. It's more about the protocols, the systems. Do you have bright lights on? Do you have funny noises beeping? Do you have random staff members or students coming in and looking at your vagina when you don't want that to happen? It's, these are all the things that can happen that can be out of our control if we're in a hospital setting. And you know, what, what's their risk mitigation? Are they going to induce you before you're ready? Are you gonna be asked lots of questions and have to advocate yourself for yourself all the time? A lot of those things don't happen if you choose to birth potentially at home or in a, a home birth center where there's not the equipment, there's not, um, it's a different culture. So it's yes. not that one's yeah. right or wrong. It's more for me personally, yeah. I knew I would be triggered by a hospital setting. I don't like hospitals. I'm uncomfortable. I don't like the lighting. I don't like yeah. the sounds. <laughs> my, my personal body would react in a closure way. So for yeah. me, it made sense to enter the hospital as a patient who was grateful for medical um, intervention yes. that I need, not to go yeah. in as a healthy woman who doesn't need it. Yes, exactly. So, so this exactly. is the conversation I want you to think about as a listener is if you've already given birth and it didn't quite go the way you wanted, looking at, okay, well, perhaps what happened, what choices didn't I know about? And if I'm going through another rebirthing again, how could I potentially make new choices? How could I take my power back? How could I attend to that little insecure part of me that needs someone to witness the vulnerability, that needs to be able to move through and open up? So this is about opening up, well, what to next? What does this mean for me now? How can I deepen my healing? Um, so I'll throw it back over to you, Ria, in terms of, let's say someone goes through a birth that doesn't go so well for them. Maybe they're induced, maybe it ends up with the epidural cascades and forceps and all sorts of things. And they're like, oh goodness, that was not what I thought it would happen. What might healing look like for them as they actually move through the trauma of going, wow, did yeah. what, what happened? You know, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Which I think is really what your book is fabulous for not just birthing women but also women trying to make sense of what happened if it didn't quite go to plan yeah yeah so i i first of all of of course i think that i would hope that they get the message but they've probably got to look outside of that frame you know the, the medical frame but they would get the message that it's not maybe just let me step back from that a little bit and say that mostly in in the the and I totally take your point. Yeah, hospitals. Some hospital situations are brilliant, and um, but women have got to wind their way through to find something that is going to feel safe to them within that network. But sadly, one of the things that happens in in births that don't go straightforwardly in the hospital often is because of the culture of the hospital rather than the woman's body, yeah, or the woman's capacity. Mm -hmm. But often the way it's explained and presented to the woman is to sort of embed a feeling that it's it's her that her body doesn't work like a failure that, to progress instead of actually yeah. we're not offering you enough oxytocin <laughs> well, we're, we're messing around with your oxytocin and we're boosting your adrenaline and so no wonder you you know so yeah so i think there's education involved 
as a first point to 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 start to unpack that to understand well why why what what happened and that for a lot of women can be their their you know that can be the start of a healing journey once they start to look at that and understand what birth needs mm -hmm. what is on offer where you met that and then it's not not surprising that then often these births don't go well the, the statistics are through the roof in terms of very interfered with births so fitting that together and educating yourself and, and having those aha moments about, ah, right. Okay. I understand. Then um, that doesn't take care of all of the distress or the, the healing that might be needed in the body, but it's really a start to that new way of thinking that has them start to claim their own power in that or their own thwarted power, if you like their own, um, the sort of way the culture has shaped that they should give away their power in birth. And so they start to think, well, I could, you know, there are other options. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. And for some women that could, that can, that can really just be the core of it. And so then if they're going on to have another baby, you know, they start to be very, um, I know that for me, when I had my first baby, that was the case. And I came out of that birth after just a little bit of education from one or two friends who said some things to me. And then it, all of a sudden it just really radicalized me in terms of thinking, Oh my God, there's a whole other way about doing this. Yeah. So that for some women that can be it for other women, of course, if the trauma then of what's happened about the birth or the feeling of failure that they have, or the lack of connection with their body or their baby, that is a result of that cascade of interventions mm. um, that can of course tap into other older, life stories or ways of thinking about themselves or, or life experiences that have left them with some of those same feelings. So for some women that um, are distressing birth can sort of take the, you know, the bandaid off or the, or the bandage or the deep scarring off older stories that now are emerging and calling for a deeper healing. And ideally if that happens, women are then, you know, serendipity or you know some sort of sh shaping of people coming into their awareness that they can tap into who can help them on that on that journey or they go seeking those people who can help them do that deeper work whether that's again deeper psychological work or sometimes sort of deeper healing work in the body to bring those old stories into the light and bring some healing yeah. um and certainly i know uh, a large part of my work i don't go to to quite so many births anymore in particular mainly the births in the my own family i've had that privilege of being with all the babies in the next generation of my family now so mm -hmm. i'll always be waking up in the middle of the night to go see them but not so many others but sadly i do a lot of birth debriefing which is this um thing of and a birth debriefing session for me is partly education as i as i've said about what that's all about and then it's about looking at the sort of timeline and the things that happen but then it's also about looking at well where does along that timeline when this started to unfold in this particular way or you start to feel this vulnerability or what have you what else is going on in your feelings and what else might that link to um so there might be some deeper psychological exploration and for some women then there's massage and deeper sort of body healing work that um can really release some of that stress and strain and and fear that can be trapped in the body because if i can just make one other point about that because something about um you know we can get the babies born yeah medically we can get the babies born some you know with women who come for a birthday briefing 
sometimes what we have, or particularly women, you know, the very high rates of postnatal depression and very high rates of a lot of distress afterwards, that sometimes what might happen in a birth, for instance, is that the mother, in terms of her body experience and being in a situation where nobody is really with her, not that, that being with to help to um, support her and guide her through some, some tough emotional moments in the birth. So maybe we have a woman who is triggered back to some trauma in her early life because of some of the sensations she's feeling in the birth or because she's feeling that abandonment again or what have you. And in, in birthing, there's two, what I call, first of all, the evolutionary regression, which is that shift in brain waves, the shift in the hormones, what they're doing, and that shift down into that primal woman who is instinctive and in tune with her body. Mm -hmm. um, but for some women on part of that journey, they can go on an age regression, yeah. like a psychological age regression. And so maybe at that point, that tough part in the labor, we have actually a woman who's regressed back to, I don't know, seven years old when that thing happened or when her mother died or when some great trauma. And so maybe her body shuts down because it's not safe. She's a seven-year-old girl trying to think that she's going to be able to be a mother and, and release this baby from her body, and that's not working. Well, we can do the Caesar. We can do the epidural or the, the synthetic hormone. We can get the baby born and place this baby into the arms of that seven-year-old girl. Mm. And then, you know, these are part of then the, the aspects that lead to postnatal depression and that mother then hopefully will be in the right place to do that work and catch up with herself again and that older, those older wounds are looked at from a fresh perspective with some other care. Mm. Um, but in labour, of course, with, I guess it's another, another part of the doula work, that often we're working much more in that psychological realm. And so if we're seeing some we'll be getting to know the mother before the labor anyway. So we get to know who she is and we're asking, I call these wild cards, some of these life stories. And we talk about all of these beforehand and for myself or other experienced um, midwives who work in this way as well, we would know, well, maybe that story, the way we see that story working out in labors is that the cervix is it's just not budging, even with good strong contractions or at that stage in a labor, when that sort of story of abandonment comes, women often go into this, you know, this age regression and they just need to have a cathartic release or they need to be held and rocked and cuddled and lots of tears come out or whatever. So we, we're dealing with that, all of these things to help to release and bring the mother back into her body and release that fear, as you say, fight, flight, freeze to bring her present. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways that can be healed during the labor, but then also after the labor, some of that can be done in terms of, um, you know, somatic healing for, for some women through the body, some it's education, some it's psychological work, some it's just their own awakening, which helps them to shift out of that, that feeling of, that, no, it's not my body that's, that's you know, that is, has, a, has failed or failed my body, but really what's happening in this culture is not really useful to, to the way I need to be birthing. So there are some of the things. And after... Well, particularly, you know, you showed that book. I think that the last story in that in that book is just such a beautiful story of a woman whose birth really awakened my awareness about some issues about birth that I wrote about in the first book. She's mm -hmm. she's through the first book and in the second birth, and she she talks about 
I should know the quote exactly, um, but she talks about that when she was in the tub, you know, going through these really tough contractions and really she'd regressed quite, quite a ways, an age regression. But she talks about feeling that she was supported by me plus two midwives at a birth centre, midwives who she knew and had a relationship with, and that she felt like, you know, it was the first time ever in her life with her body and herself being in some vulnerability that she ever felt loved and cared and supported. Mm -hmm. And so, and because that labour went on for a few hours, she had that experience for quite some hours, which of course is not necessarily going to reshape everything about her life from some trauma in her childhood, but it's like it's a taste of what it is. And in attachment theory, we might say that this is an experience of earning secure attachment, that you're getting a taste of what it can be to have people with you through vulnerability and supporting you and loving you and caring for you and drawing you into your strength within all of that. So um, that's a beautiful story of... Yeah. And actually, the more, the more emotion we have in one of those experiences, so in that example, the woman, this woman was feeling really held instead of feeling abandoned or rejected, which may have been her old neurological pattern, in that tub with that eye contact and that strong holding and the water holding her, because of the high intensity of birth, she'll instantly get more bang for her buck. There'll be more neurons and more synapses firing all at once. So it can really be a very potent healing Absolutely. in that one instance. So it doesn't necessarily take 20 years of therapy. And that's what I keep saying to my clients is the more we can be in the body and the common elements here, whether you're birthing a real baby and going through the labor or whether you're rebirthing yourself and rearranging your physiology to overcome chronic illness or chronic symptoms, the common elements are trusting your body and learning how to return home to the body and trust the messages it's telling. Because actually yes. when we do have failure to progress in a hospital, for example, if, if I'm freaking out under the bright lights, that's perfectly normal. That's my body serving me well. It's saying, yes. no, these bright lights aren't safe. I'm going to stop. Right. Yes. So it's about reframing how the body is working with us and, and listening to the body um, yes. instead of self shaming. And I, I think yes. that common element is, is really important. Now, unfortunately for listeners, there is no C-section or cesarean to rebirth <laughs> yourself. So I feel like um, when, as pregnancy and birth of our children is an opportunity to learn and, and grow and change and dive deep into fears. And I had a doula and she kept asking me all the way through the pregnancy, you know, if this kind of thing arises, how do you think you'd want to meet it? How do you, what tools would we use? What do you feel comfortable with? What language? And she was always teasing out you know, the, the scenarios of if we freak out or blah, blah, blah. And, and we didn't need them, but we had all of those tools ready if yes. it came up. And actually we had a very slow, slow, slow pre-labor, which I didn't know what that was at the time. I had to, <laughs> I had to learn while I was in it. Um, yeah. But it was just very gently my body thinking about opening and not opening. So it was something, nothing, something, nothing. And then I had a very quick birthing process. But interestingly... I transitioned, I think, from the pre-labor of thinking about opening to actually opening after a huge cry. And the cry was like, I just can't believe I'm going to be a mum. I never thought I'd be a mum. And I, I just had to kind of move through this deep emotion of going, oh, my goodness, I'm going to become a mum. And birthing the mother, I think, was really what let my body open. Yes, exactly. exactly. And, and so I, I totally hear what, where you're coming from in terms of we just have to stay with the body bring our loving kindness to whatever it is we're feeling. So being, having supports to move through shame or guilt or um, rejecting ourselves, abandoning ourselves. 
And as we're rebirthing ourselves through uh, healing, vertigo, tinnitus, dizziness, these things, the body now is like, okay, there's no C-section. You can't avoid this. You literally have to go through it. You have to feel through it. This is a rite of passage and I'm going to keep bugging you for the next few decades unless you stop and listen to me. And that is my lived experience as a clinician seeing hundreds and thousands of these people. And I've seen clients with 20 or 30 years of symptoms who have dropped into this vulnerable place and rebirthed themselves and they come out the other side normal. So it's not that we, time is not an issue. As far as I'm aware, we can always neurologically change and adapt. Yes. Um, doesn't matter how young or old we are. And I think there has to be a readiness to trust the body. And that's where both of your books talk in detail about having an inner circle. You don't need to do this alone. We have to birth the baby alone and we have to birth ourselves alone, really. But we can be supported and held in our vulnerabilities. Yes. And I think creating that network of support helps us to be ready to open. Yes. So, and if I can speak a little bit more to that, that, yes. you know, I, I, before I got involved in birth, which was really through the birth of my own baby and that radicalising, got involved in birth work but before that I used to be a physical education teacher and an outdoor adventure sort of um, facilitator mm -hmm. so I had known a lot that many of us our bodies can do wonderful things but often our fear and our lack of trust in ourselves which of course if we think about what we're talking about psychologically of course that can go way way back from a whole lot of other experiences um, but that many of us don't achieve what we can achieve with our physical body because we can go into what I call these crises of confidence mm. where we're feeling there's nothing going wrong in our body. And um, it's just that we feel like we can't do it. It's too much. It's too strong. It's too hard. The, the, uh, you know, whether it's about that abseiling down that cliff or it's about, you know, running that marathon or it's about um, birthing that baby. And I'm, you'll um, talk about this in terms of your followers in a moment, mm. but that, and certainly in birth, there are some key points in a labor where the labor, a labor is an escalating physical experience. You know, the contractions are getting stronger, the oxytocin is flowing harder, the contractions longer, stronger, closer together, so more and more intense. This is the, the powerful way that our bodies open to birth our babies. And because I often use the analogy, you know, that for, for if you think about a fun run, it would be a fun run that starts at the base of the, the highest hill anywhere that you might run a fun run, starts at the base and it ends up at the, the summit, you know. So it's something that's escalating as you're going through. And at each point of where there's an escalation in the hormones coming through more strongly, oxytocin particularly, and then that drives these stronger, closer together, deeper contractions, women can sort of get a bit disorganized. They've been on a groove before this point, and now it's like, oh, oh I don't know now. Mm. Um, and then they're in that sort of, that can blow out into a whole crisis of confidence about feeling, no, I don't want to, I can't, I shouldn't, I have to. Help me, help me, help, help me, help me, do it help for me, me. no. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that maybe that's always been um, part of a story for, for us as women across our evolutionary history to reach some of those points of lack of trust or feeling like it's too much and too strong. But particularly for contemporary women, particularly in the eras of now of the epidural, which says, you know, it can all be taken care of that you can be pain-free and, you know, not have to be in this struggle, then for women who want to have a go at normal physiological childbirth, there's an added impediment in terms of these crises of confidence because we know just outside the door, 
there is an epidural which can take it all away and you can just continue playing angry birds on your on your phone or something so that seduction of being saved from the effort and the energy of it and the intensity of it means that across what a lot of people think is transition that that's the point where you get a little bit which is you know eight to ten centimeters late in first stage that that's the point where you're starting to feel like oh i can't do it well what i've seen through my 42 years of of birth work is that those points where women feel like it's too much for them they can't do it it's too strong happen much earlier in the labor so i started to talk about this idea of crisis of confidence and that crisis of confidence is fueled socially culturally medically as well as within the the woman herself Mm -hmm. and that at these crucial points whether the mother is going to go on to surrender deep more deeply into the labor and the labor keep unfolding with its power and potency and and escalating intensity is dependent on at that point when the mother feels like she wants to give up and that she can't do it anymore and she shouldn't have to do it anymore and what have you will depend on who is with her at that time and if she has people who are experienced in witnessing this who are not freaking out about it and so that can be a big challenge for partners of the women or or um, sisters or somebody who's never been at a birth before who can get caught in a sympathy loop yeah. and want to say, want want the mother to be saved because it's very uncomfortable watching her in that distress and anyway they don't know whether this is safe or not safe but if the mother is supported at that time by that holding circle that sort of what i call that intimate holding circle of people who are experienced in this who know that this is everything is going brilliantly these are predictable points there are times when you know maybe as a doula i stop sitting in the corner and having my cup of tea and brownie and feel like i'm just going to come in a bit closer and spend four or five contractions you know really with some good eye contact and some conversation you know some words some maybe breathing with and so on and and then she you know she she goes over that hump if you like of that moving into this deeper engagement and then you know then maybe i'm sitting back in the corner having my brownie for the next two hours as as things just um, she's on a new groove and off she goes and so beautiful then she might reach another crisis of confidence but if women are following and i'm not i'm not wanting to put this in the frame of covid eventually we will move out of this time but just more generally if a woman is relying on her male partner the father of her baby as her key support person Well, we see this unraveling because they're discomforted. They don't know this is normal. They're in a whole concern about, is it safe? Equating the pain with a lack of safety and the distress with a lack of safety because we stick it in a hospital where if there's pain and distress, then it's coming out of things going wrong in the body. Whereas in our case, this is much more about things going absolutely right in the body. It's just that it's escalating. So women relying just on their partners, and in particular, most hospitals are really pain relief. This is midwifery theorizing. Either it's premised around pain relief, which is much more about nursing and medical things going wrong in the body, where of course pain relief is is perfect for helping our healing when we when we're when the body is needing to heal but an idea, the other theory paradigm is about working with pain and i usually put in the words working with functional physiological pain so this is your marathon runners or your 
your bushwalkers and hikers or your birthing women or your whoever, you know, your yoga practitioners, you, you know, people who are working to extend themselves in their body into their strength and their power and their potency. And knowing that when we're working strongly and hard with our bodies, there is that functional physiological pain of the stretch receptors and of the, how, our, you know, trying to get enough oxygen in and all of that. And that normalizing that and having people around the woman who can support her through those times when she's got to engage more deeply and strongly in that process um, is so important about whether she will or she won't or that birth will go down that other pathway yeah. so um, I you can speak to this but I would imagine that um, on it well I know on other healing journeys that there are these ideas of these crises of confidence where it's too much, it's asking too much of me and I feel like I'm not strong enough to deal with it and what have you. And if we haven't got, and if you've got only people around you, this happens in breastfeeding as well. Um, but if you only got people around you who feel like you shouldn't have to go through tough stuff and it should, you know, can be taken care of by this, or you could just give up that idea of doing it anyway and just let them, somebody else take care of it. Um, rather than having a support people around who, not only have some expertise, but but know how to boost your courage and capacity for the work that I'm sure on healing journeys, these are crucial elements as well. It's not only about the person themselves and their own drive, but who they have around them. Yeah. So I, I think crisis of confidence for my vertigo, dizziness, tinnitus clients is, well, straight up at the onset, it's usually quite a shock and it'll be quite traumatic. Then they'll go down the medical route of medical clearance, which is great and necessary then they may try some physiotherapy or some medication. And look, if that works, it works great, you're done. But for clients who have the chronic conditions, they can end up seeing 15 doctors, osteopaths, spiritual healers, you know, naturopaths, everything and anything. And they can try devices and ongoing medications. And, and, and really this is the system saying, well, you can't sort it out yourself. So here's another device, here's another pill, here's another external paradigm or protocol I'm, I'm going to give you. And, and what that really doing is the message that the client's subliminally getting is, well, I'm failing, I'm abnormal, I, my body's wrong, I'm not good enough. Yeah. So then enter neuroplasticity and the process clients are, are going through when they engage in my work is actually my body is perfectly fine. The signals I'm receiving are coming from a confused body, a body that's getting mixed messages and a belief system that's actually shaming myself and rejecting myself and thereby further firing the very things I don't want to feel. So how can I take back the locus of control? How can I surround myself by a group of people who say, you've got this and what you feel right now is fine. What support do you need? How can you reassure yourself? How can we redirect that loving kindness and compassion back in towards myself to get my brain to fire the natural oxytocin, the natural feel good love pathway hormones where neurologically I can open up and grow into a new person instead of getting stuck in the old story of shame and guilt and yeah. I'm wrong, I'm abnormal, I need fixing. Why can't someone fix me, right? Yes. And, I, and I think that's the beauty of having that birthing experience or for men, a marathon experience or even perhaps being beside um, the fatherhood experience of being beside your partner as your yeah. child is born is I think it really deeply instills in an, in an intensity, this, I can do this, I got through this, I am powerful. You know, yeah. that, that relationship has an opportunity to deepen. And, um, you know, medical interventions are a gift, you know. I would hate to think that I was giving pregnant in some 
remote <laughs> mountain and the support I needed wasn't there. It's not about medicine intervention being a bad thing, not at all. It's just that if you're a healthy person going through healthy functional pain and transformation and you're supported to go through that, the neurological benefits are healing and it's a way of, it's a rite of passage to grow into that next person you're becoming. If that's interfered yes. with, it means the emotional, spiritual journey is being neglected. And yes, you're getting a healthy baby and yes, you're getting cesarean or pain relief, but you're not, that, that opportunity has been missed. And yes. then I think that's when it can really come and revisit us through later stages in life. You yes. know, welcome menopause or midlife crises where the same yes. stories are going to come back and, and manifest somehow. And Trying that, for you. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where I, I've just found um, the, the process of birthing and dropping right into that vulnerable space has been just so fascinating for me, especially as I'm often the one beside watching and holding. <laughs> and, yes. and I found the parallels and continue to find the parallels really incredible. Um, I'll just, one recent one was my, my baby's pretty, pretty easy, really, I think, in, from what I've heard of other people's experiences. But just the other night, he was screeching and screaming for what seemed like on and off for five hours. And little would try everything, you know, and you get little moments of calm and showing the stars or give him a light show, you know, even feeding wasn't really helping. And yeah. it, I couldn't help but realize this is what happens with my dizziness, vertigo and tinnitus client symptoms. Sometimes out of nowhere, your body is just screeching at you, screaming at you. And what do we do? Do I go into this place of saying in that moment, well, I'm a bad mother, you know, clearly I can't, I can't soothe my child. I'm a bad person. Do I go down yeah. that line or yeah. do I be with my child? Do I hold my baby? Do I, even though it's screaming, do I pull it in close? And of course, eventually, um, you know, holding him in close to my heartbeat, I think was what he needed. And, yes. and the rest is history, but it made me feel like this is what we need to do with ourselves when our body is screaming and screeching mm -hmm. and discombobulated. How can we bring ourselves back in and hold ourselves as though we are a little baby without falling into the shame story and the guilt story? Yes. And so yeah. I just think on so many levels, this is a really beautiful visual for those of you out there with chronic illness, chronic symptoms, and you're just confused about neuroplasticity and why bother. I think having this analogy of a labor process of birthing and being with a very vulnerable baby, this is the process mm. we're learning to do for ourselves and with ourselves. Yes. Mm. It's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity to present it in that way for people to see. Yes. I think that, that if I can just say one other thing about the, that relates to this issue about who's around you, mm. that, um, when you're in a, you know, struggling situation, whether it's about a healing journey, or a birth or parenting um, teenagers or whatever. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, attachment, there's two aspects to it. One of, the, one of them is, of course, that we've talked about that thing about whether you've been held, the holding, the closeness, the attuned attention, mm -hmm. so that your foundation, the foundation of you is building on I'm loved, therefore I'm lovable, I'm valued, therefore I'm valuable, I'm in somebody's heart and feelings and people are watching over me, they're attuned to me, so therefore I'm, you know, I'm deserving of all of this care. And sometimes life is a bit tougher than I think and I can also tune to these people and they will be, be there, I'll get that sort of support. So that's one part of it and it's called, that part is called the safe haven. Mm. Yeah. 
so when we're in a threat situation and hopefully we've got that foundation in our early lives so that whenever we're in a uh, threat situation where we feel like our own resources we'll draw on our own resources because we know we have plenty of them but if it's outside the range of our res own resources we'll we'll draw in other resources so that's one side then there is then the next side which is particularly as the baby is growing and I'm of course you're in those beautiful stages with that little <laughs> baby as they're starting to move and have more control over their own bodies and want to explore their worlds and of course part of the whole of a growthful life is about exploring our world exploring ourselves in our world and developing more and more resources and skills and what have you so this is about the the aspect which is about secure base for for exploration and your baby is going to be you say five or six months yes yeah? so and maybe mm -hmm. starting to move a little bit roll and so on mm -hmm. um, and to be looking at experiences of life outside of just the interaction between you and you know the baby and you or, or his father or his I'm not sure girl boy um, mm -hmm. but that they're starting to explore the world around them. You know, that may be about with the blocks or it might be rolling over there or, and of course that gets more and more eventually there off to school, kinder school and having to explore a whole lot of things. And so what are the messages that that, that small child in those first few years where this is laid down as foundational sense of self and sense of how the world works, what's being laid down? Is what's being laid, laid down messages that, yeah it's exciting exploring the world and you can do it and but if you you know if it starts to get a bit strong there then i'm here for you but i'm not here for, it's this balance then about am i here for you in a way that wants you to save you from any distress or any challenge or any feeling of that you're on a learning curve rather than being fully able to execute that bike ride right from the get-go. So this is about so how we're rescuing that dynamic. Exactly. Speaking exactly. of which, I'm gonna go grab the baby. I'll pause this and come back. Okay. All right, we're back. Okay. So that aspect about how when the baby is exploring its world and then through life, a foundation for how they might expand and explore their world around attachment theory either they're feeling like they can be supported to keep going into the tough gig you know whatever that tough gig is at the whether it's birthing their baby or it's a healing journey or it's riding a bike or it's whatever else they they can be have that secure base that they can return to that tells them it's okay, it is tough, you can do it, here are some steps, here's some guidance and what have you, and on they go out to explore their world again. You know, the analogy that's often used is that toddler who starts to go over to, you know, move away from mum or dad a little bit and go over and explore those blocks or something over there, but, or when they first start to crawl and they're always looking back to see, you know, is somebody still watching over me? Is somebody still attuned to me? Is it safe for me to go and explore this at the same time? Do I still have that connection? So that, that connection then, but as we're adults, and particularly in the birth world, let me say for myself around that, how this works in this, my domain, that, so when women are going through that crisis of confidence where they feel like they can't do it, they don't want to do it, it's too strong, is the support team providing that secure base for exploration? And the exploration in that scenario is the exploration of the deeper engagement with my body, the deeper trust of my body, the deeper engagement with my breath and my, you know, working in that way. 
is the support that I have around me encouraging me into that through guidance and, you know, the big smiles that say, oh, yeah, it looks pretty hairy, but it's brilliant, you know, coming off that, that big contraction and the mother's complaining and what have you. Oh, what a fantastic contraction. You know, it's doing this and this and this and this. So is that the sort of, sort of support we have around us, that secure base for exploration and achievement? Or is the support base either not there at all, which, of course, makes life very shaky to take on any new challenge which is why i shut everything down and keep it somehow or other as controlled as we can mm. or is the support yes as you're saying wanting to save us from any of that dis oh don't go over there to those oh don't try this or oh, don't i'm not on the bike or not this or or of course is the has the support been as we're on a learning curve learning new things like building a house of blocks or getting on that bike or what have you and and we're reprimanded because we're we knocked it over or we're silly or we're you know yeah. not this not that, not the other so there's a whole lot of factors that are, all of these things are being laid down as you say in that first seven years um when we're thinking about these much deeper sort of layers of our psychological understanding of ourselves i talk particularly about the first three years then these lay that foundation. I guess there's another sort of the psychological theory that talks about, you know, do you have a growth mindset yeah. or in fact, is, is your mindset limited? You know, is it it's about positive psychology? So many of those other psychological, how have you been supported early on to embrace challenge and what that looks like at an age appropriate way. And so then, yeah, that safe haven on the one hand about feeling you're attended to and people, hold you in mind and hold you in their care and feelings and also what's required for achievement in life of all and many types is then having that secure base of people that you can lean into as needed when it's a bit tough but you know they're also going to be encouraging you on into whatever that challenge is that you're taking on at that time so um they're important things i think for a healing journey too definitely and like i i have heard some of my friends say they just didn't know where their midwives were. They felt really alone. There was a, there was an, a huge unknown element. How long will this take? When will they check on me? And, yeah. um, and I think they didn't really know what they would, they, they didn't know that would be the environment that just happened to be the environment they were in. It happened upon them. They didn't choose it. Yes. Whereas um, I completely chose my birth team for those reasons. And that's the benefit of having friends who birth before you is you get, the richness of their stories yes. and um, my memory of the birth team is just looking up and I was in my own world I was away with the fairies just in the process in my body but I have memories of looking up and just all these smiles everyone was just big teethy smiles yes. and saying things like you're doing so well and then I just go straight back in yes. um, yeah. so I think I think the it makes a huge difference I, you know, yeah. I think we're really underplaying the importance of the human care, the humanism. Yes. Of course, you know, having the Dopplers there and hearing the heartbeats is great too, but really emphasizing who is supporting you on this journey. It's not just about getting a hearing test or just getting a balance test. Yeah. Who's holding you? Who's witnessing you? Who's giving you the big toothy smile saying you're getting closer to birthing yourself. This is exciting that you're stuck. We want you to be stuck right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And so I think celebrating yeah. every step of the way is so important. Yeah. And I think if I can just say one other thing about the birth um, the sort of system or the culture in the hospital, back to your point about the midwife, uh, my sense of it is that because 
and I think that this is probably a laid down generational sense way back from our earlier um, life story as human beings that women have always been supported by at birth by other experienced women. So I think that, it, you know, that's sort of laid down as an embedded sort of psychological expectation to be to be with people who who are tuned to to us who are with us and so i think exactly as you said that a lot of your friends are thinking when they go into the hospital that the midwives will be there for them will be with them because this is like a deep generational story um only to find quite surprised that no the midwife is not there for them is coming in and out um they don't know the midwife anyway, and they change shifts. So it's a different, you know, they might make a good connection with this midwife, but then eight hours later or two or three hours later, that's changed and there's somebody else again. So standard care in our birth culture is that stranger midwife. Yeah. The, and it's a very difficult the place for the midwife to hold because the poor old midwife is following exactly. protocols and rules and monitoring yes. different dynamics of different people. So this midwife stretched, you know, that's difficult. Exactly. Yes. So um, the, the research says that for women who are choosing or happen to have the luck to fall into the continuity of care midwifery programs, and in Australia, that's only 8% of women who get to access continuity of care, as you did with your, your known midwife, or in the hospitals, women are getting to know this team of midwives or a few particular midwives. Um, who are with them across the whole of the labour, then of course, and know them through the pregnancy, then as you say in your story, all of this stuff is worked out, talked about and what have you, and then there's that presence all the way through that labour. Whereas for women having that expectation and then feeling abandoned in a way that st standard structure is abandoning women, and if women then have their own story of a vulnerability to abandonment, so this makes for very shaky hormonal uh, situation and the births don't generally go well so uh, you know the, there's political work to be done in terms of birth birth work I'm sure really in terms of holistic ways of understanding other distresses in the body there's probably political action too in terms of uh, how that sort of work might be more understood or supported rather than just the very medical ways that then um, if they can't find the here you know the 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 remedy then of course they sort of say oh well nothing more can be done you know you're on your own now there's probably political work to be done in terms of shifting and shaping that a little bit as well um so yeah just uh, riffing a little bit on your your story about your own situation and yeah. thank goodness to to have friends who can can spark that you know that understanding for you oh to i've been so blessed so blessed and so blessed that my friends were willing to share their birth stories that's a gift too as yes. is all of the people who volunteered to share their healing stories on my YouTube channel with vertigo and tinnitus, I am constantly told people love hearing the recovery stories and the challenges they face and how they move through it and just normalizing all of those feelings. And, and a lot of people with vertigo, dizziness and tinnitus feel like I'm a bad parent. I can't be available. I can't attune to my child because I'm not even in my body. So yeah. all interconnected. Coming back to wrapping up this conversation is, you know, if you are listening to this and you haven't yet birthed, find Rhea's books. There's, this is the, the most recent one, Beyond the Birth Plan. And the first one, Birthing with Confidence, Savvy Choices. I just have, I have it here, if I can put it up. Yeah, this one. That's, this a, that's a wonderful book too. It's one of those books I've given away and it's, it's, it's often to the <laughs> on, on its journey. I would love them. 
Yes, I will send a link to Rhea Dempsey's uh, website. Uh, on a practical note, find a doula. If you, if you know you have to go through a medical birthing situation and you're listening to this and saying, what do I do? Find a doula, someone who can okay. be with you, be with your partner, hold that emotional spiritual space, even if it's in COVID-19 times and it's over the phone. At least yes. you have someone coming in there with experience, with support, who's there for you and only you. They're not dropping in and out of shift work. And they'll take you through the birth preparation leading up to it. My doula said, you know, most of the work happens before the birth. By the time you're in the birth, you're in it. Facing yes. the fears and working, working through getting to know and trusting the body happens way before. Yes. And yes. then for those of you who have vertigo, dizziness, tinnitus, chronic symptoms, and you're like, oh my God, I'm rebirthing myself. I'm in labor. I'm, you know, <laughs> start toying with this and ask yourself, well, what new choices could I make? How can I be more savvy? What resources do I need? What, how can I get this oxytocin moving in my body so I can open up more fully to the person I'm becoming? Um, come and visit my website, subscribe to my YouTube channel, like my iTunes podcast, wherever you found me. I've got lots of these conversations constantly unfolding. So my website is seekingbalance.com.au and yours, Ria, is, you, do you want to spell uh, it out for people listening? Yeah, so it's uh, birthing, it's either www.riadempsey.com.au or www.birthingwisdomoneword.com.au. It's my website. Yeah. And I'm going to give links to both of those. If you are listening, Ria is spelled R H E A Dempsey D E M P S E Y.com.au. Such a wealth of wisdom. I've been really excited to have this chat with you. I just, I'm so grateful that you've shared your time with me so thank you so much on behalf of everybody listening and our future listeners thank you so wonderful to be here and so wonderful to just share these you know it's wonderful to be share with other people who have a passion about anything actually but if you're sharing a passion passion that has some parallels it's just so enriching so i've loved it thank you thank you very much for being in touch and having this and i hope everybody who's listening that there's something in it for you wherever you are in your life and whatever you're facing that you can draw around you the people and that help to bring out your strength and capacity for dealing with challenges and uh, you know expansion in life yeah. and i highly recommend Ria's book beyond the birth plan if you do want to flesh out this conversation a little bit and potentially look into healing your past past births or you're using the analogy of moving through rebirthing yourself it's, they're really really wonderful supportive resourceful books so giving that a big plug okay. it's a little dark now for me thanks again ria and we'll see yes. you we'll see you in the next uh interview bye for now okay bye